We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. We're talking running back handcuffs on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome back to Rotoviz Radio, brought to you by Deal Dash Bet Online in the FFPC. I'm Dave Cabin, senior fantasy analyst at Rotoviz, joined by the editor in chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network, Matt Friedman. Matt, do you like going to the beach? Of course, I have a question about this. Yep. Yep. Um, by beach, are you meaning like ocean beach? Or would you take sort of like the beach shore on a lake? Um, because I'll put some, it in people, either. some people yep. would count the second one as a beach. Um, but, you know, like people who have actually lived like near the ocean tend yep. not tend, sorry, tend not to think of that as a beach. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying. There. That's actually a, a fair thing to bring up. Let me put some parameters on here. I mean, do you enjoy spending, you know, four to five hours (laughs) and you can see where I'm going to be going with this. Okay. Starting off your day, waking up, gathering up all of the junk that you have to take with you 
to said beach, getting the chairs, getting the suntan lotion, whatever, whatever, you know, other paraphernalia you need, driving, then walking out onto what's essentially an oven, sitting there, sand all over you, looking at gross people running around, being near people. Do you enjoy doing this as a recreational activity? That was a fantastic description. Yeah. Uh, no, I okay, but, but but that's your version. It sounds like of going to the beach. <laughs> yeah. My version of going to the beach is much more relaxed. Okay. Um. But uh. So yeah, my version of going to the beach. I don't stay there as long. Uh, I'm not as meticulous about the stuff that I bring. Uh, it's a little more leisurely. So that version of going to the beach, uh, I'm okay with. Okay. Um. Fair enough. See, because a oh right, you you we podcasted when I was up at my brother's house, and you heard all of the commotion. Yeah. So while we're out there sitting on the beach, which was at a lake, by the way, I I just floated out the question. I had to stop everybody, and I asked. I said serious question. I I paraphrased by saying I'm not complaining, which was taken as if you said you're not complaining. It means you are complaining. I said, I genuinely, and I was serious about this, I genuinely just wanted to know, did people actually enjoy this activity? Getting sunburned, you know, like I said, out there baking, essentially, sand stuck all, I don't need to go through the whole litany again, but the consensus was that other people actually enjoyed this, and I just found that mind-boggling. I mean, I guess I can understand how somebody would, but the fact that those people actually exist and in large numbers blows my mind. Yeah. Um... This is a very on-brand take for you, and yep. uh, I, I do appreciate it. Uh, and there are a lot of things about going to the beach that I don't like, but uh, I'd say in the aggregate, like, yeah, like beach, no, I'm cool with it. Okay. Well, I'm actually kind of surprised by that. Um, and, and I would like to, um, I believe at one point I said, you know, looking at disgusting people on the beach, I'm not calling out anybody on the beach. I just find being around a large number of people to me, it, 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 I, I don't enjoy it. No, That's no, all I, I meant. I think in all fairness, uh, I think what you meant to say is you find all humans repugnant. Kind yes, of re- exactly. Regardless. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Regardless of, of any, you know, we're right. just going to move on here. Right. It's time for this week's FFPC stat attack. I'm sure they are glad to follow that segment. 153 <laughs> targets, 98 wrecks, 1,147 receiving yards, 1,658 air yards, seven receiving touchdowns. That's Allen Robinson's stat line from last season. I want to talk about him. But before we do, the FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, including Dynasty best ball and of course the world famous ffpc main event to learn more or to join a league head to myffpc.com that's myffpc.com and of course we've got a handful of tools at rotoviz designed specifically for ffpc domination i think we hit upon this before so i've kind of changed the question matt from the outline but for Chicago wide receivers and even the running backs, do you care if it's Trubisky or Foles? I think that's what we talked about, so you can brush over that quickly. But I'm also curious about how good do you think that Allen Robinson can be this season if you did have a preference, though, of the quarterbacks? I'm pretty sure that you'd said it was Foles that you do prefer. Yeah, I prefer Foles. I'm thinking, like, I projected him right now for 14 and a half games and uh, Trubisky for one and a half games. 
I think it's really hard to know how we should project them, but uh, I think Foles ends up starting in week one. So I'm just assuming he holds that job for most of the season, maybe suffers an injury, something like that. So Trubisky, you know, plays a game and a half, something like that. So that's what's baked into my projections. Um, Even with that, I don't think Allen Robinson is going to have that good of a season. And that's nothing against Allen Robinson but I think it's going to be something that's sort of like a combination of what he did in 2018 and 2019. Like, I don't expect him to get 154 targets again. He was one of the leaders in the league in targets last year. I expect that number to be closer to like 120 or something like that. Uh, And so, you know, just fewer opportunities. Uh, And then I think he also um, might be, I don't want to say like more inefficient than he was last year, but you know, like rough, let's say like, even if he's just roughly as efficient as he was last year, it's not as if he was a highly efficient player. It was based a lot on volume. So I don't know. I think like we're looking at a guy who maybe has a thousand yards receiving, but like if he's getting 30 fewer targets, he might not even get a thousand yards. So I'm fairly pessimistic on him this year. That's actually pretty troubling for people that are Robinson enthusiasts because I have him in my projections at 148 targets, which it seems like could be pretty rich in your opinion. And that only puts him at 1,076 yards with six receiving touchdowns, gets him to 236 for PPR. But like you said, you know, if we drop that number down to 120, that's going to push him behind a number of wide receivers. Do you, uh, just off the top of your head, remember how his market share is in your projections. So my market share for him right now is 24%, which isn't um, like outrageous, but that's, it's like a respectable number. Um, But I just don't know if he's going to be any higher than that. Um, I'm going to tell you in two seconds, if you want to quickly filibuster here. Uh, I really don't want to filibuster. Um, I, I want your awkwardness. Uh, in lack of talking to okay, just so, wash over the, the podcast. I actually gave him 26%, which is actually pretty high. That's yeah, that's high. And that's not to say that that's wrong. It It's just like he could, he actually really could dominate targets in that offense once again. But uh, I'm just kind of expecting that we will see something a little bit different. Um, if you look at 2019, he had a 27% target share. So like clearly dominated in target share last year, but that was a career high. Um, if we take him closer down to his career average on a per game basis, it would be around 23 and a half. So I feel like I'm respectable. Like I'm trying to give him the respect he deserves by giving him a 24% target share mm-hmm. while also adjusting back closer to what has been more representative for his career. Got it. So if I adjust my actual projection for Robinson down from 26 to 24, that dropped him to 214 points, which as I would have expected is a pretty significant drop down the rankings, moving him to wide receiver 26. Um, but if we, if we forget about Robinson, what I think is important here is as we've talked about before, there's a lot of flaws in projections. And this is one that I haven't actually heavily pointed out before, but I did these projections maybe now like three, four weeks ago. And at the time, for whatever reason, I eventually decided that 26% was what I thought made the most sense. 
But I could see me opening this up today being like, oh, that seems a little high. But who knows? Maybe if I open it up again in two and a half weeks, I'm like, nah, 26 was right the first time after I do some more analysis, which just, again, speaks to why it's dangerous to get truly locked into any set of projections that you're looking at too heavily. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I would say I feel... I probably feel better about my 24% than you feel about your 26%. Right. Yep. I would agree with that. Um, I have another question for you here, Matt, about yep. Chicago. Um, or actually, it's not specifically about Chicago, but they're a good team as a jumping off point for it. Uh, you know, we know that they have David Montgomery, Tariq Cohen, two players that I think drafters will be selecting, hoping that they'll be able to use them. Of course, there's this long standing approach in fantasy football of handcuffing running backs meaning if you take Ezekiel Elliott you then draft Tony Pollard in case Zeke gets injured I don't believe that either of us have ever really been big proponents of this approach but it's been a couple of years since we've talked about it has your approach to doing this changed at all over the years uh, I mean, not really. I guess like in the earlier days of fantasy for me, which, you know, would be like, I don't know, like 10, 12 years ago or something like that. Yep. I was probably likelier to handcuff then. Um, but I would say like two things. One, maybe that was just a little more naive. Um, and then two, I think we were still likelier at that time to have very clear handcuffs. Like now... Mm -hmm there are maybe like five or six running backs that I think really qualify as handcuffs. Yep. And we can maybe even debate who some of those guys are. But, you know, like Tony Pollard, like I think he's a pretty clear handcuff. Uh, Alexander Madison, I think he's a pretty good handcuff. But, you know, you look at like Arizona, we talked about Chase Edmonds last episode. Some people might think he's a really strong handcuff. I don't know if he's as locked in as like the the clear guy who's going to get like 65, 75% of the work if Kenyon Drake goes down. So yep. I think it's less valuable to handcuff now than it used to be just because it's not as certain anymore. They're just more backfield by committees. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And the other thing that coincides with that is that there's just fewer players that you're using those early round picks on expecting to get such massive production out of. There's really only, you know, five or six running backs that you can really certainly say are going to smash. And like, if you draft Joe Mixon, um, maybe he's not the best example, but even if you knew it was Gio Bernard was the next in line, or you knew it was Travion Williams, right? I don't know if you're really going to jump out and say that expecting like 80, 85% of the production out of them is reasonable like we might have in years past. And then the other point that's always been brought up when discussing handcuffing is you'd prefer to use picks on players that allow you the chance to have two players that you're going to use than two that are mutually exclusive with the rare case being maybe like a Matt Breida and a Jordan Howard. But, you know, I don't think you're going to be selecting Matt Breida and then handcuffing him with Jordan Howard. And that gets into a whole other discussion if if you'd even want to have both of the players in the backfield like that. Um, but we are going to talk more about some of those players that could be handcuffs and how strongly we feel that they are 
or how good of a handcuff option they're going to be in 2020. But first, let's take a quick minute to hear from our sponsors. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to dealdash.com and use the offer code RotoViz or dealdash.fm forward slash RotoViz. That's D E A L D A S H dot FM forward slash RotoViz. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ori. See what they had to say on what will be what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-the-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Okay, Matt, let's pop into these potential handcuffs. Let's start with Tampa Bay. An interesting thing has happened now. We see Ronald Jones at sixth, with her, excuse me, going in the sixth round. Keyshawn Vaughn going in the eighth. Um, I don't know if it would even be fair to say that one of them is the handcuff. Um, so I'm just going to ask about this backfield like this. Who do you think actually is the starter and who do you like more in the spots that they're being taken? I think Ronald Jones is the starter and, uh, I've had that, uh, opinion ever since Keyshawn Vaughn was drafted and started getting a whole bunch of hype. Um, and that's, you know, nothing against Keyshawn Vaughn. Like he certainly has potential and I, I understand why people are enthusiastic about him. But um, there have been a a number of beat reporters, uh, specifically Jenna Lane from ESPN, who said that, <clears throat> said that she expects Ronald Jones to be the starting running back. She expects Dare Ugambawale to be the third down back. And she expects Keyshawn Vaughn actually to be the, the backup. Um, and so, I mean, I think a bigger question is not... Um, is Keyshawn Vaughn someone who's going to be the like the receiving back, the guy who kind of takes away from Ronald Jones and is the clear handcuff? Um, maybe like Zach Moss, you know. But is he someone who's even worth drafting at this point? Because if Ronald Jones is the early down guy who gets a little bit of the receiving workload, 
and Ogumbawale is the receiving specialist, and Vaughn is just a backup. Like, Vaughn has no utility unless Jones gets injured. It, it's not as if he's someone who's working his way in. Maybe, maybe Jenna Lane is wrong. Maybe my read on the situation is wrong. But uh, given that report, I think Vaughn is being massively over overdrafted right now. I was a huge Vaughn proponent, but yeah, I like Ronald Jones as the player of the two. If I were going to draft one, Jones is the one I would draft. And when you have now a third running back thrown into the mix here, it really makes things even even murkier for Vaughn, I think, because it's hard to assume, at least in my opinion, that if there is the three of these backs in the rotation, that Jones is the one that gets entirely dismissed. So let's um let's move on, though. Um, Daryl Henderson, I think a lot of people are expecting him to be playing behind Cam Akers. Who would you rather have Keyshawn Vaughn or Daryl Henderson? Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, okay. You know, even though I just kind of disparaged Vaughn a little bit in terms of what I think his role is going to be. Um, if Jones gets injured, I think Vaughn has a really clear path there. Whereas if Akers gets injured, I'm not sure that Henderson is actually even the guy. I think he would still have to share a lot of the work with Malcolm Brown. Yeah. See, this is why this is so fascinating now when you try to have the discussion about handcuffs, because like you said, it really depends on who you're talking to, who they think the handcuff is. Uh, now, you mentioned these guys earlier as two of the better options. You have Alexander Madison behind Dalvin Cook, Tony Pollard behind Ezekiel Elliott. Who's the better handcuff? Pollard. Um, I think Pollard is exceptionally talented anyway um, and probably deserves more of the workload than he's going to be getting. But um, if Zeke is injured, I think Pollard becomes like a, a top eight runner uh, just in terms of like his fantasy viability. Like he could be massive. Uh, Alexander Madison, I think, um, would also be a good handcuff if Dalvin Cook is injured, but I could see Mike Boone actually working his way in a little bit and stealing some of that. Whereas in Dallas, I mean, it's really just Tony Pollard. Like no one else on that depth chart, I think would come close to challenging him. Fair enough. Um, why can't I think of his name right now? Who was the running back a couple of years ago that was the handcuff for the Cowboys? Zeke got suspended. He Alfred started Morris? Uh, no, not Alfred Morris. And then he got like arrested and suspended for stealing underwear. Uh Joseph Randall. Joseph Randall, right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think that was pre Zeke. Was it pre Zeke? Yeah. So, that was, oh, that was, was that actually was behind the Marco Murray that Yeah, that was post to Marco Murray. Oh my God. Okay. All right. Wow. Okay. Um, Zach Moss or Boston Scott? Zach Moss. Um, yeah, not even really a question, yeah, right? Yeah, I think he's going to have a, a pretty significant standalone role anyway. Um, he might actually be the better back like in comparison to Singletary. Like Singletary might be the more skilled player, but Madison, uh, sorry, uh, Moss might get the touches that actually matter. Uh, yep. He's the better, or I think it's possible that he's the better pass catcher and he's the bigger guy. So he might end up getting, <laughs> getting the goal line carries, which means like, what is Singletary going to give you? Like Singletary might give you like uh, 1,200 very empty yards, which like that's not insignificant. But uh, I mean, if if things align right, Moss actually might outscore him. Yeah. So last season, um, let's see, 
targets for Devin Singletary were only 42. Of course, you know, he was playing with Frank Gore, but I think that it's probably fair to assume, you know, if he's, if Zach Moss is able to do what you just talked about, I don't think you're going to see, you know, significantly more targets from um, Singletary in 2020. So that's a situation that would not bode well for him. Um, Chase Edmonds or Latavius Murray? Latavius Murray, easily. You know, like we've actually seen him do it. Um, if Alvin Kamara is injured, the the two games Kamara was out last year, Latavius Murray was a top five fantasy producer. Um, you know, fantastic offense, and you know maybe he would have to share some of the load with Ty Montgomery or you know Dwayne Washington, but uh, man, I think he would crush. So week seven against the Bears, twenty seven rushing attempts, one hundred nineteen yards, two rushing touchdowns, added five wrecks, thirty one yards as a receiver. Week eight against Arizona, 21 rushing attempts, 102 rushing yards, one rushing touchdown, nine receptions on 12 targets for 55 wrecks, and one receiving touchdown. I have not heard many people talking about Latavius Murray. Um, Maybe I've been looking in the wrong places, but that's insane. No, and there's the possibility that he actually works in a little bit more this year than people are anticipating. You know, like, what if he actually does play, like, more of the Mark Ingram role? Like, people were thinking that might be the case last year, and it didn't happen. But what if it happened this year? You know, like, that's it. there's a non-zero chance he ends up having, like, 10 touchdowns this year. <laughs> that would be absolutely insane. Um, His ADP right now is, I'm about to tell you, um, it is... 113 running back ADP of 46 in FFPC leagues. I um might be inclined to grab him there just as a hedge. I mean, it's probably not going to play out that he gets to have a massive role, but if he does, like we just said, it's going to be absolutely stupendous. Justin Jackson or Darrington Evans? Darrington Evans, because I, I do think that he really is the only guy there in Tennessee Yep. Whereas with Justin Jackson, uh, he's going to have to compete with uh, with someone else, whether it ends up being like Joshua Kelly or just some other random runner. Um, but I, I think Joshua Kelly, the new rookie that they've brought in, would actually have a pretty decent chance of beating him out. OK, um, there are there any other traditionally viewed handcuffs that I didn't mention that you wanted to add into the discussion here? I mean, I think an interesting player right now is Tevin Coleman, yep. um, you know, just because he he could have massive upside if Raheem Mostert is injured. It seems like the uh, the Raheem Mostert trade talk has died down. Yep. Um, but, you know, Mostert was incredibly explosive at the end of last season, um, you know, very productive. But he's going off the board still really late, as if drafters are expecting him not to be the lead back there. Um, and, you know, if that happens, Tevin Coleman feels like the guy who would get the first shot uh, at Raheem Mostert's job or at least sharing the workload. So Coleman is I don't know. I don't I don't have any of him in drafts, but he's someone I'm always kind of keeping my eye on and thinking about. Like, I'm not sure if I'm evaluating him properly. I don't know if I've evaluated Coleman properly his whole career. I've always been waiting for that one season where he really puts everything together um, and just has like an awesome campaign. 
early on in his career, he was able to, while playing with Dante Freeman, have some pretty good seasons, but, you know, has kind of disappointed me in the last couple. So we'll have to see there. Um, what would you say to people that are drafting Carlos Hyde as a uh, handcuff to Chris Carson? Yeah. Or not Chris Car- <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I guess it wouldn't really be as like a traditional handcuff, though. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I don't know. Um, it's not impossible. I guess the question is, when does Rashad Penny come back? And if Penny comes back, uh, does he beat out Carlos Hyde? I think he probably would. Yeah. But, um, I mean, we've talked about this before. It's worth remembering that Carlos Hyde uh, has, you know, historically gotten a really high percentage of rushing market share. Uh, and, you know, in the past four years, um, he's had over a thousand yards from scrimmage, actually over 1100 yards from scrimmage in three of those seasons. So, I mean, would it be a total surprise if for the fourth time in five years, Carlos Hyde ended the year with over a thousand yards? Probably not. I mean, if you're in Seattle, it just does not seem out of the outside of the realm of possibility. So as much as I want to say to people like, no, just don't go after Carlos Hyde. Forget about him. I, I don't think I'd be giving solid advice there. I mean, I think he's a player that you don't want to forget about. Well, I mean, that said, like, I don't have him on my teams. Like, I don't yeah. want him on a team, you know? Well, um, yeah, I don't know if I would say go ahead and target him. Although actually let's just get a, an up-to-date view of his ADP right here and see if it has kind of where it shot do. He's still RB 62. I think for RB 62, you could do a lot worse. Yeah, you, you probably could, but, uh, I would just, I'm not drafting. I have zero of Carlos Hyde, even okay. though like I can see how he's productive. I, I just don't want him. Okay. Um, Let's just transition here quickly. Last question of the week, Matt. Are there any players outside of the top 150 that you want on more than 50% of your teams kind of getting at here? Are there any late round guys or even late mid round guys that you're very enamored with? Yeah. So I'm looking at FFPC ADP right now uh, at yep. Rotoviz, and Mike Williams is going at uh, 152.7. Um, I think that's tremendous value. And so I would love to have him on more than 50% of my teams, uh, at that ADP. Um, AJ Dillon is someone who's intriguing, but I wouldn't want him at, uh, 50% cause that just still feels really leveraged, yep. but he might be the one running back outside of the top 150 that, uh, I look at and think like, I would, I would be very happy to have him on a lot of my teams. Um, Sammy Watkins at 164.3, I think provides pretty significant value. Uh, I think of him as, uh, an arbitrage play on, um, on Miko Hardman, who's going a couple of rounds earlier. And, uh, obviously that's just a fantastic offense that he's in, in Kansas city. And if Tyree kill is injured, uh, then that could end up just being massive production for Sammy Watkins, uh, best ball especially uh, is where I would want to target him uh, redraft. That would just make my stomach hurt. Um, Deshaun Jackson is actually someone I'm interested in at 167.3 um, because uh, you know, we've talked previously about how injuries are pretty hard to, uh, to anticipate. And even though Deshaun Jackson has missed the super majority of the past two seasons, um, if he's able to stay healthy and he's going so late, 
that you're not having to risk much to have him. But if he stays healthy for most of the season, I think he has a pretty good chance uh, to lead the Eagles in air yards. And uh, if that happens, I mean, some pretty good things could happen. Like he could have a thousand yards receiving. He could have five to seven touchdowns, you know? So he's someone who actually intrigues me as someone who's available really late. Those are the players I would, I would be happy to have 50% of uh, outside of the top 150. I think that makes sense. Now, I don't think I would plan on it, but I know that I'm going to end up with LaVisca Chenault on more than 50% of my teams. Yeah. Um, for no other reason than for something, or, or there's just something about the way that I perceive him. Um, this is this is based completely just on me watching some highlight films and just picturing him in a Jaguars uniform. I have no evidence to which to lay this on, um, but that's the player that I know I'm going to end up with more than 50% of. Do you Here's, have any... Yep, go ahead. Yeah, one, one question. Antonio Brown at 183.6. Eh, that's too early, I think. I think I, that's fine. You think it's well? Th- this is why I don't think it's too early for Antonio Brown. I think in the way that I'm putting my teams together, it's a little bit too early to fall into the roster spot or like what what he's going to represent on my roster. I think that's a little bit earlier than I want it. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't know. I think it's fine for me. Um, that's wide receiver 62. Yep. Um, you know, like whoever you draft there other than Antonio Brown probably isn't going to give you a lot, like probably isn't going to finish as a top 30 wide receiver a majority of the time um, when he's active. So and e- even if Antonio Brown misses games, I think if he signs with a team, whenever he's out there, he's going to be a top 30 wide receiver. Okay. Um, let's say that we knew somehow that the probability that Antonio Brown plays in 2020 for any stretch of time is 20%. How would that make you feel about him at 186? Um, really good. Okay. Be- because the probability of anyone else yep. around that ADP um, having top 30 production is much less than 20%. Okay. That's perfectly fair. What percentage would have to get down to before you're like, eh, no thanks? 3%, 5%? Yeah, like 8% maybe. Um, okay. You know, I mean, just think about some of the other wide receivers going in that range i don't know like well i'm hunter renfro yeah i mean like michael Pittman. like antonio brown is the wide receiver 62 michael Pittman is the wide receiver 63 you know like if i know that antonio brown is playing even if it's like just a a 20 percent chance of him playing i would rather have antonio brown over michael Pittman. So basically what you're getting at is really that spot you're thinking the overall majority cases is basically just a throwaway pick. So if you're going to throw it away, you might as well throw it on a player like Antonio Brown, who has so much upside to realize. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, at, at that point in the draft, I think you do shoot for upside, you know, and uh, Michael Pittman, I think, has long term upside. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to really get there this year. 
And then like Paris Campbell, he's like the wide receiver 64. It's like, okay, like those two guys are going to be fighting to be the number two receiver on that team. Like, I don't really want either one of them. You can just go down the list. Like I, I would prefer Antonio Brown to many of the wide receivers available after that. And then you can even get to Josh Gordon. I was just about to ask you about Josh Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. I I'm, I'm a sucker. I'll just say I'm a sucker for Josh Gordon, but uh, it is, it is worth pointing out that in the 16 games he played uh, over 2018 and 2019 um, with uh, the new England Patriots, so this is taking out the final game he played with the Patriots that he left early with an injury. Yep. But his 16 healthy games with the Patriots, he had a thousand yards receiving. Like, yeah, that's wild. We've like very much in recent memory, we have seen Josh Gordon be a thousand yard receiver. And like, I know that might seem a little bit fake to kind of go across seasons and like not count the final game with the Patriots and just basically ignore uh, his five game stint with Seattle. But, you know, like in 16 consecutive games with the Patriots from like the day he joined the team to the last game he played with them healthy, he had a thousand yards receiving. Like that's, that's something that people should take note of and you can get him often in the last round in your draft. Fair point. Um, as far as Antonio Brown goes, though, do you think that he actually is going to return to action this year? Um, okay, probably not. Okay. Like, I think the odds, I think the odds are against it. There are other people, it's funny, there are other people who are more bullish on him returning, but who still think that they shouldn't draft him where he's going. Like. Yep. I'm more pessimistic, but I still think he should be drafted. Okay. Um, perfectly fair. Now I'm kind of feeling like I, I want to go back and rephrase my stance on taking Antonio Brown there. I'm going to have to think a little bit more about that. Um, who knows? We'll see if Antonio Brown pops up again. Um, I find this very interesting just going back to when you originally wrote the article about Antonio Brown falling off the cliff and nobody seeming to care. Um, you know, we've now come full circle back to you now wanting to draft the guy when he's not even in the league. Yeah, it's uh, I'm 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 not normal. Yes. Here's here's one player who kind of uh, I think can wrap together some of what we've been talking about. Yep. So we've talked this episode about handcuffs and about some guys going outside of the top 150 um, over the past three years when Joe Mixon has been out. Giovanni Bernard has dominated and he's going as the running back 68 uh, at an ADP of 232. Do you have any interest at all in Giovanni Bernard? Yeah, no, I definitely do Um, because I can, I can appreciate just how good, like you said, he's been. And I can also see how, who knows, maybe if things really do click, Gio can get, some light usage um or it's possible too that you know like with joe burrow he does get mixed in every once in a while um but as far as handcuffs go and it's funny because when i kind of tried to use cincinnati as an example with joe mixon it did kind of occur to me that bernard actually might be a decent option i wouldn't actually handcuff um mixon but he is one of those players that with that adp 
it's hard to find a better mixture of a player that we've seen do it. There actually is some realistic potential for and is still at a point in their career where you could see them doing kind of close to what they've done in the past. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Bernard, it, it's hard because there are at this point are a lot of good pass catching backs in the league. But I would still say Bernard is maybe like a top eight, top 12 receiving back. Like, I think he's he's one of the best in the league. And I don't want to say like he has the potential to be Clyde Edwards Alaire, like to Joe Burrow, but I could see how he plays a role that's kind of like that. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm actually much more intrigued by Giovanni Bernard than by a lot of the other like so-called handcuffs. Yeah, I think that's a perfectly fair and good way to close this off. Um, it's unfortunate though, go, going back to our main event team from last year that Darren Sproles is no longer going to be an option for people in drafts. <laughs> that's very funny. Yeah. Yes. Very, very un- unfortunate for uh, Sproles that he's not going to be with the, uh, the Bengals this year. Yes. All right. Uh, that does it for this episode. You can reach us at rotovizradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at MattFTheOracle. Thanks to Deal Dash, Bet Online, and the FFPC for sponsoring the show. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And as always, remember it's not a fantasy if you believe it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.